I'd say 150 right. is best in class. Are you around there? Uh, well, that'd be a little bit of a stretch. Okay, we can but, say between we can be <laughs> between what we won't push further between one ten and one fifty. Yes. All really good numbers. Yeah, really yeah, we numbers. will be. We'll be closer. We'll be closer on that to one fifty. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews, and if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to gitlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com. Hey folks, my guest today is Derek Steer. He's the CEO and co-founder of Mode. Before joining Mode in 2013, he was a member of Yammer's analytics team where he led sales and marketing analytics, drawing upon his experience on the monetization analytics team at Facebook and his background in antitrust economics. Derek, are you ready to take us to the top? Nathan, thanks for having me back. You bet. We, we recorded exactly almost one year ago today, so I'm not going to repeat stuff there. But for those of you that have not heard of Mode before, give us the quick sort of 15, 20 second. What is Mode doing? Yeah, so uh, we make data analysis software. Uh, we aimed it primarily at analysts and data scientists to make them much faster at delivering analysis to their business. Um, and in doing so, you know, a big part of what they do is share with other people in their business. And, and so what we've ended up building is something that works for your whole company, uh, a little different model than traditional business intelligence, but a lot of companies that are really forward thinking in the way they use data, like Lyft, Twitch, DoorDash, kind of you name the folks who are really doing it well, uh, use mode to run their businesses. Mm -hmm. Now, you told me a year ago, your team size is 120. And pre-call, we were talking about some changes you made to your AEs and BDRs and SDRs. So what's the total team size today? And then let's dive into the sales motion. What changes have you made? Yeah. Oh, it's hard to keep track of. Um, we we <laughs> held relatively steady last year because like, you know, kind of big year of uncertainty, a lot of shifts in customer base, that kind of thing. Uh we came out the other side really great and have been having an awesome year so far. Uh, we are at a one six high one sixties now mm -hmm. team size and like really trying to get over two hundred as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. um, Why yeah, is that so, the goal? Oh, uh, lots to do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the the short answer is the goals get higher and higher um, in every department in the business. But I, I would say I, would, I put it in two general places. So there is a standard like late stage company go to market scaling thing that happens that just requires bodies. And, and we can talk about the BDR AE structure, but that's one of the places in particular where we found that like we can, we can win by having more people. Um, the other one is we've got a really technically complex product and it, you know, it used to be that engineers would join our team and they would kind of say like, wow, you, it seems like it seems like this team has done a lot of work. Like we've really produced a lot of stuff with a pretty lean technical team. How many are we on have. the team? How many engineers today? Ooh, uh, I think the EPD org is in the like 60 person range at the moment. I, just, I don't you've have the grown, exact. You've grown that then. You've grown that about 20 then since we last spoke. So, so we had pretty yeah. lean engineering team for size. And I think that's right. We've grown it all, all over like a little bit product. Um, you know, we, we've grown like we have an EPD ops team now. Um, we had a whole management layer that I think was missing before. We really learned how we have a we have a new engineering leader who uh, he runs engineering and product and design, uh, mm -hmm. and arrived in I think April 
of this year. And so mm-hmm. we've been steadily growing it behind um, behind his leadership and and have pretty aggressive plans to continue expanding it. Just to get more product context here, but also get into your head a little bit about pricing and scale, you sort of have like three, I think, three sort of key products, right? Your SQL editor, notebooks, which touch on R and Python and reports and dashboard. You then choose to sort of package those in unique ways across three separate types of pricing plans, studio, business, and enterprise. But then you also have like, you know, in a, you know the Helix data engine, for example. How do these things all work together to make up a pricing plan for mode? Yeah. Um, I'll back up and talk about just some of the the basics of how we think about it. But the first thing is, um, it's it's really one product. Uh, it has a bunch of features that are tied together. But the important thing, and this will always be the case, right? I, I don't ever want to separate SQL from you know Python in Mode because the point of the product is that you can move seamlessly between the two. If we break those into separate a la carte items, you know, I, I don't want our customers to have to choose. And and a big part of the reason is folks don't realize exactly what they're going to use before they start using it. And a lot of what we've done with our interface enables people to level up into jobs that they didn't know they could do or hadn't done before, right? In the Python world, if you want to set up Jupyter, right? This is the standard tool people use for Python for data analysis, right? You set up this Python notebook on your desktop. The fastest way to do it is using a product called Anaconda. Uh, it's still hard to do. Like it'll take you half an hour with someone who's done it before sitting next to you pointing out how to do it. Whereas if you want to use Python to do like a very simple, the, the example I always use is median, right? So in SQL is a really bad tool for calculating a median. In Python, it's like trivially easy. Yeah. It's just one line of code. So if you want to do that, you can just go look up the line of code on Stack Overflow or wherever click on the word notebook in the mode interface and we will save you a half hour of setup and just take you directly to the notebook so you can get a median. So, so that leveling up is really important. And we've always thought about that with respect to price. Um, most of our industry prices like editors versus viewers. And we get some pressure from our customer base to do that because like uh, we have customers that have 500 editors, 6,000 viewers. You know, like is that your biggest account? Five hundred editors, six thousand viewers. Who I don't actually know the stats on the biggest one okay. lately, but but the last time I checked, uh, that was that was about right. Um, yep. That that company is probably bigger now. Yep, yep, yep. Did just we, be we clear, you're charging for editors. Viewers are free. Well, that's what our customers want. Um, no, but that's not how we do it. We charge the same oh. price for every single person. And oh, okay. Look, in our Overmode's history, we've tried both methods. Um, and when we when we split out editors and viewers, the feedback we got was, well, like I've got this product manager who's like not really an editor. They're not going to spend all their time in mode, so I don't want like a full. I want to pay like half editor price for them and give them access sometimes. And it's like, well, it doesn't work like that. You know, yep. you, you can't have like a half time license. Yep. Um, the important thing is there's a total cost of ownership that has to line up generally with the market. Like this is a competitive market. So we are beholden at least somewhat to what our competitors charge. Which and, would be what? L- Looker, Tableau, these kind of companies or someone yeah, else? Yeah, those are the two that we see most frequently. Right. So so like for you know, if customers evaluating all three products, they're gonna come in in roughly the same range. And the question is just how you get there and how it scales. Um the the challenge with editor viewer is the editor seats need to be very, very expensive, and people don't like that. Um, like what's expensive? Give me what's expensive. When we did this, we charged three thousand a year per editor. Okay. Yeah, and I think today we might charge even more. 
So we've gone through we've gone through a bunch of models. I think the big thing. So you asked about Helix and what that does to pricing. Um, and think about Helix. So so Helix for for folks who have listened to my previous appearance on this show. Uh, Thanks is, for coming uh, back. By the way, we always appreciate re- return guests. So uh, yeah. I guess you enjoyed the. Hopefully, you enjoyed the first one. I did. That's why I'm here. Um, I love that. I Thank like, you. I like the directness of the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the thing about Helix is it's an in-memory data store. And what it allows for is I'm an, I'm an analyst. I do some analysis. I pass it off to whoever it may be. Let's call it our head of revenue ops, right? She can slice and dice. She can do any kind of like quick visual analysis operation without writing code after I've shared this thing with her. And part of what allows that to be fast and performant is that we've got this in-memory data engine that can take up to like 10 gigs of data. So way, way, way beyond what Excel can handle or like a desktop Tableau or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we, I can put like a really, really big data set in there, excuse me, for her to go analyze. And Helix is what's going to enable that. But the challenge for Mode the company is that Helix adds a new cost for us. So uh, that cost is really big for some customers, uh, smaller for others. And, and you know, we, we try to limit it in a couple of ways, right? The, the, the way that aligns to our cost, because so, it's possible for someone to just make, put us underwater on, on our contract with them pretty easily. Mm-hmm. So the way that we manage it is we have two axes. The first one is throughput. So we say, okay, you, how much data do you even pull into Helix over the course of a month? We're going to give you a range for what you're allowed. And then Measured by what, like gigs exactly. or what? Yeah, exactly. Just just yeah. uh, storage amount. Yeah, right. Um, it's all transitory, right? So it's coming in and out of memory. But but the question is, how much do you put into memory over a given period of time? Yeah. So that's one. But it turns out to be really hard to reason about when you're just doing analysis day to day, and it's it's tough. We we have to do something like that. But it's just I think people don't don't have that in their their minds. Like okay, day to day, I'm doing this. Yep. Um, and that's. I mean, it's bad for them because it's hard hard for them to reason about how much they're using. And it's kind of bad for us too, because when we're selling to a customer and we say, hey, we think you're going to have high throughput, their answer is almost always like, well, let's see. Yeah. Let us start you know? off on a small plan first. So what's the second exactly. axis? It's throughput and the second one is what? The second one is the size of an individual data set, right? So how big of a, of a data set can I, can I pull back? Um, and we soft limit it at different tiers of service. So... You know the lowest one. Um, uh, I forget exactly what the lowest one is. I, I don't they, wait, Derek. I don't think I understand this. So the first one's throughput. What's I don't understand the difference between that and and how much you want to pull back. Isn't it saying you're measuring gigs through the system? We are, but we're measuring uh, how many gigs in one shot versus how many gigs aggregate over a month. I so it's like per project based pricing versus monthly pricing. Uh, the. The throughput one is we just look so like th- there's a lot of ways that people put data through mode or the 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 primary two are kind of ad hoc analysis like kind of one off things you write a SQL query some data comes back that contributes to your gigabyte limit throughput yeah. right um, but also I write a SQL query some data comes back if that data set is more than ten gigs in size we won't load it for you. Oh, right, see. and and so we have we have what a pricing mechanism that is like how nice. big is that data set? Right, can you bring back one that is ten gigs? Can you bring back one that's five gigs, one gig, and so forth? 
Um, so Derek, just to put all this in a beautiful little package for my audience, tell me if this following statement is correct. You are upselling your product-based upsell is based off like SQL editor, notebooks, reports, and dashboards. Your usage, your utility-based upsell is based off throughput or you know one project going through and how big that is. And then you also have seat-based upsell, which are editors and viewers. Are those the three main pricing axes? It's really just the the two latter ones, okay. um, because because the the SQL Python. R, et cetera. That's just the product, right? We're not, we're not selling you have that included product. in your free plan. Um, the, the exception to that. So actually why maybe I, the correction that I would make is from a feature perspective, the way that we upsell is on standard enterprise stuff like Octa skim, yeah. you know, like <laughs> SSO, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. It, I mean, real stuff, which like, you know, I, 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 it is probably the best differentiator or the best uh, segmenting feature, right? Because like bigger companies need it, smaller companies don't. Um, yeah. And it's actually funny. I'm, I, I, I curse this a little bit right now because we are going through. So we bought mode.com. Mode, mode, we were mode. I was going to say, congr- I was going to congratulate you on that. Congrats. What did that, it was more or less than $100,000? More. Uh, more than a million? Less. Okay. A lot less. Between, there you guys have it. Between a hundred and we'll call it $500,000. There you go. Yeah, that's the, that's the range. Um, it's, I actually feel pretty good about the price we paid. That's not a bad, I mean, that's not a bad price for four letter domain name. Four letter real word. I feel like, you know, the real business in the big house on the corner now. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, now did you do that after the $33 million series? Was it series D? We did. Oh man. Well, we did it after the round before announcing the round. I see. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, which is the right time because like, you don't want someone to be able to go look up the, fu- the financing yep. amount and be like, hmm, these people can pay more. Yes. Yep. Yep. That's that makes actually, a lot of that's sense. a really, the story of the domain is a really funny and interesting story. Um, but to, to put the, to put the bow on the pricing thing, um, we mode overwhelmingly grows with seats. Because yeah, yeah. it is the natural part of the workflow. And I guess anyone... Can you share anyone, that? Can you share how many editors are on the platform today just across all the customers? Uh, that, that's not stuff that we share publicly. Oh, okay. okay. Um, so... Can, is there a range you can share, Derek? Like above a million or above 10,000? It's, it's above 10,000. It's, it's oh, okay, not perfect. in the huge millions. I mean, like, it'd be tough to get a million people with, you know... Well, you could have viewers. Couldn't you have viewers? Like editors plus viewers be well above 100,000? Let me, I think the, the thing that's, that's probably interesting about this, or at least kind of sheds light on the way that the product works is, um, is the ratio of okay. editors to viewers. And it varies from company to company because some companies have bigger data teams and so forth. But in general, you're looking at for most companies, right? Even just a potential set of people, you're looking at between 15 to 20 viewers per editor. At like mm-hmm. a mature mode organization, and it's just based on team size and what's happening, right? So, so you know, what when I think about our customers, well, that's that more are, aggressive though than the one you told me earlier with your big customer, where we had five hundred editors and six thousand viewers, where we got ten to one ratio. This is a twenty-one to ratio. Yeah, so so ten to one ratio is like kind of what we see at the of well, ten to one ratio is editors, but not necessarily people who are an, analysts and data scientists, right? Oh, um, so, so that's going to be like tech forward companies. If you were to look at, you know, someone who is not a super techie company, it's going to be much higher. Like we have, um, we have some media companies, for example, that operate differently where it's like a lot more viewers. Um, and in fact, like the viewership is so large that they, they don't even do the viewing in mode. They build a separate web portal and like the data team will slot stuff into the web portal. 
I um, see. I see. It's like you know a totally separate thing dedicated just to viewing. Like there are no editor features even in that portal. Yeah, but you still charge. You're still charging for those. We do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because those are people who get value, and yep. and because the price is low enough. I mean, you know, it's not three k a year for viewers, for, is it? Sorry. It's not 3K a year for viewers, is it? That's just the editor price. Well, the thing is that by charging for viewers, we're able to lower the editor price too. So we charge one price across everyone, which is 300. It's a tenth of, of what I, I described to you, right? Okay. So, so $25 per user per month is the list rate. And then especially as we get into these big, like many thousands of company uh, of employee companies, we negotiate contracts that have uh, stair step seat pricing, as I think most SaaS companies do. This uh, totally standard, really standard. Yeah. So, but but you mentioned ten thousand editors. I mean, if you have that twenty to one ratio, I mean, you're talking then you've got maybe big, I don't know two hundred thousand viewers. So an ecosystem is pretty healthy here. Mode is mode is. I mean, yeah, there, there's real usage of our product. Um, yeah. It's. I think the important thing, like if I were you know teaching a course on this or whatever, my advice to other folks is. We, this happened all through the natural workflow of the product, right? Like we attached ourselves to something that was inherently viral and, and that enabled us frankly to trip all over ourselves. Like we introduced customer success as a department very late in Mode's lifetime. Um, and in fact, the, the, old, the first true customer success leader who actually had customer success experience has been at the company for two years. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot like, of sense. Yeah, it's and this is an eight-year-old company, all right. So like we went yeah. for a long time without it because we just saw such incredible growth naturally. And so what, just um, so obviously just talked about like number of editors, but across how many logos now do you have using you? I think you're at six hundred last time we we spoke. Are you above a thousand? That's still now? the number we have on our website. That's still the number I'm going to give you. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you stopped, why have you stopped sharing that? It's not that we stopped sharing it. It's that we just do it at milestones. Usually, I see. Sometimes the, the milestone next? is we made a new website. Sometimes the milestone is like about a, you know, a big number. So is the next milestone you want to celebrate a thousand customers or we'll wait for that I announcement think that's to come out? A, I think that's a very good, sensible one. We'll probably, that, gotta, we'll probably wait, gotta be, wait till we get... We'll Derek, you've got to be flirting. Like, you've got to be sorry? flirting with that right now. Yeah, I mean, you've got to be flirting. You've got to be very close to that by Christmas, I bet. Well, you know, I, I will say like we had kind of an interesting year last year where we had higher than normal churn. Um, and we, we had a lot of companies. So something about Mo that is a blessing and a curse is that we come in alongside analysts and data scientists, or alongside traditional BI rather, right? So, so we serve the analyst and data scientist who a lot of times is using a looker or a tableau and like pulling their hair out. They just hate mm-hmm. it for their own workflow. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so for us, you know, that's an opportunity. And we say, hey, we serve you, we can come in alongside, um, but then we grow. We grow to all of the other non-analysts, non-data scientists, just through this natural sharing mechanism. That's like part of the analytics job. So imagine it's a pandemic. You got tightening budgets. You're trying to figure out what you can cut. And you look at your data stack and you say, hmm, we've got two like BI dashboarding kind of products. One that is optimized for everyone at the company. One that's optimized for the analysts and data scientists. And look, there's a longer conversation here. I, I, I think Mode actually delivers for the rest of the company in a way that's uh, it's different and very effective. And we've we've shown that we've we've been we've been tremendously successful in empowering entire companies over and over and over again. But if the person who makes this decision is like ignorant to the process, like if it's if it's like a CFO, for example, who who cares purely about the numbers and is like, this one costs a lot. It's optimized for a small team. I don't understand their website because it's not aimed at me. 
Yeah. So uh, I think we should get rid of it. Yeah. And that happened to us a fair bit. Like we had certainly our worst churn year ever last year, as I think a lot what of- What is that? You churn more than 20% of revenue? Uh, on a, on a, I, I think about this in terms of customers. So not more than 20% of revenue. We churn more than 20% of customers though. Logos. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, which we, by the way, are, we have gone way the other direction. Like we are 12 to 13 percentage points better on retention this year than we were Is last your, year. Would you, will your NDR, will your net dollar retention this year be well of like 110%? Way beyond. Okay. Well, that's great. Um, even wow. even churning. So even churning. You know, more than twenty percent of logos last year, we still had net dollar retention above hundred because that's, that's incredible. So there's well, still just expansion because of happening. the way that the product works, right? Like we've yeah. never had net retention under hundred percent. That's incredible. Well, look, if you've got, I mean, I'm seeing right now these public the valuations you're seeing in private and public markets and SaaS, even more than revenue growth. The, the, the ones with higher net dollar retention, but even lower revenue growth are getting higher valuations than faster growing revenue companies. So like NDR is like, I'm seeing at least just a, the most important thing if you're raising right now, would you agree? Well, I, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about that. I, I don't know what's important raising, right? I mean, it feels like just hype, honestly, as anything that looks like it could be a breakout company is getting a mega round. Um, and that's all your attention. I think is an important thing that contributes to that. Yeah, mode has just always been good. I, like again, it's not something that we had to engineer. It was just an inherent part of the process, and so you know, it's been frankly quite easy. Like we'll do. Yeah, I, I guess I'll just say we'll end the year way, way, way north of one ten, like in a true best in class net dollar retention. Well, I'd say one fifty is best in class. Are you around there? Uh well, that'd be a little bit of a stretch. Okay, we can but, say between we can be <laughs> between what we won't push further between one ten and one fifty. Yes. All really good numbers. Yeah, really yeah, we numbers. will be. We'll be closer. We'll be closer on that to one fifty. That's great. And what is um, obviously you probably can't share like actual hard numbers in terms of uh, the, the the revenue, but when you look at just your growth rate over the past twelve months on a percent basis, what does that look like? Uh, I guess what I'll say is this year's growth rate will be double last year's. Yeah. Uh, so, so if last year's growth rate was a hundred percent, this year's growth rate will be two hundred percent. Hypothetically, I'm, I'm not going to give you the exact. No, uh, no, but I'm, 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 I'm but just yeah. trying to translate the ratio you just gave. Like, if yeah, that's that's the one, type of thing that I am saying. I yeah. see. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Cool. Um, my best guess in terms of your revenue is like you've got to be, you know, in uh, in 2020, you close somewhere around 20 million bucks in AR. I mean, can you guys break 40 million bucks in AR this year? Uh, again, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plead the fifth on that one, but the, I would, what I would say is like, we are, I think the, the most important thing is, and we didn't know, haven't talked about the BDR piece yet. The most important thing is we kind of by accident discovered the thing that is going to carry us through the next several stages of growth. Um, and it has been an interesting journey because like you like, okay, no one, no one can learn anything from where we are in revenue, though it is interesting. But like the thing that was really fascinating that happened last year um, that has totally changed the trajectory of the business is uh, we, ha- we had a small BDR team that, you know, <laughs> was made even smaller by like personal life circumstances. So people were sick, they had family stuff, whatever it may be. And we in like you know October November of last year, so almost a year ago, uh, we found ourselves in like a pretty bad situation with respect to incoming leads. And my philosophy on this has historically been, you know, 
the inbound leads are going to be high quality leads. We're like, you know, at the time we were a 95 plus percent inbound business. We've, we've yep. added some outbound into that since, but, but not a ton, right? It's primarily an inbound business still. And my thought was, okay, this, this inbound business is basically going to close itself. Like people, if they want to try mode, they're going to try mode. And, and so we don't need to have a zillion BDRs to qualify them. We, we need enough, but there may, you know, a couple is enough. Um, it turns out it's very, very wrong. So going down to one BDR active at a given time was a big part of the cause of, of slowing that down. And, and our CMO uh, sort of correctly identified this and made the correction. Um, our, our BDRs report into marketing. So she said, hey, we're, we're not going to make this mistake again. We're going to overhire from what we think we need. So we, you know, we had three or four, but we're going to go up to six, seven. Uh, and we did that in January. We hired a bunch. Uh, onboarded them. And then in Q1, which for us starts in February, uh, oh my goodness, things went the opposite way. And we kind of realized like, oh, actually the leads we're getting are proportional to the number of people that we have who are even taking phone calls, doing qualification, now sending outbound emails, that kind of thing. So uh, everything started to go the other direction. And then we just have kept growing BDRs and it works. Like we Mm -hmm. just keep adding more. We keep generating more leads. Like Everything about it seems to be scalable. And it's great, not just because it's adding revenue to the business and feels like a thing that we can continue to invest in. It's also great because our BDRs turn out to be the most successful salespeople in mode. Derek, let's try and... This is great, like uh, like qualitative. Can we quantify... How many BDRs right now are on the team full-time? Uh, I want to say that our BDR team is 18 people. And how now. many SDRs? Uh, it's the same thing for us, but okay. we split it into we split it into like studio, right? So there are people who are like trying to do upsell on our studio audience. That we have corporate, we have uh, enterprise, which is like a little bit more you know high touch for a given customer. So we've essentially tracked it. Um, and the the folks who are running that team, you know, this is a well, well hold on, Derek. So try and keep quantifying for me. So there's 18 there. How many account executives do you have? Ooh, we have. Eight right now, and, and one and of them is not even doing new business. Really, she's just doing uh, kind of strategic upsell. And, and how many account managers do you have? You know, working post sale. Um, we do so. So there's one for strategic. We we kind of split this interestingly between CS and um, and uh, so add and those together. How many CS? How many CS folks? Ooh. I don't know the answer to this. This team has changed a lot. This team has okay. been growing a lot recently. Like we just like hired m- four new managers for this team. Oh, wow. More <laughs> um, than more than what? Definitely more than how many? I think that the CS team overall is 25 people, which includes customer support and sales engineering. The sales let engineering team is pretty small. Let me repeat that back to you. So you have 18 BDRs or SDRs, you have eight account executives, and then you have 25, more than 25 customer success folks. I yeah, but, but again, customer success is inclusive of like support, right? We yep. we lump yep. support and solutions engineering and customer success all together. Do your CS reps have an expansion, a dollar expansion quota they have to hit? Yes. It, well they do. They do for smaller accounts. So basically we say like for, for our smaller accounts, there is a clean handoff between new business AE and CSM. Hmm. Um because it turns out that you, that you can manage the relationship very directly there. Uh, smaller companies tend to not need quite as much handholding, right? Like it, it becomes more complicated when we're like managing big training sessions and doing other things to drive engagement uh, across like a, 
a business of many thousands of people. So in those cases, right, the enterprise CSMs are on the hook for retention, but not growth necessarily. And then we have salespeople whose job it is to drive growth. Um, and that's especially relevant in a in a company where, like, as I mentioned, that you've a big part of what drives our strong net dollar retention is just the natural like virality of the of the workflow, mm-hmm. right? It's not even our product; it's the workflow that we yep. are attached to. It makes sense um, to me. On your AEs, the eight folks there, do they all carry the trip standard sort of million dollar quota? Uh, they're all at like five times OTE to. I mean, that's like the benchmark that we use. That, like yeah, that's totally standard. So you're standard there. It's usually like yeah. $200,000 on target earnings against a million dollar quota. Yeah, yeah. The, like um, the actual numbers are slightly lower than that. I think a lot of okay. that is because we're, well, we're, we're like leveling people up from our BDR program, right? So like a lot of our sales reps are entry level folks when they start. Yeah, got it. So that might be like a 150K on target earnings against a $750,000 quota, something like that. Yeah. But I mean, we also have a guy who's like a few years out of you know, BDR territory who did a 600 kick quarter. Wow. Very cool. Okay. Very cool. That, that, that system makes a whole lot of sense. Um, let me, I'm trying to think if there's anything else here that I'm missing that we can learn from you. I mean, look, one thing I will say is like, you have, you've decided this is going to definitely be a VC backed company. And sort of once you're on that path, you got to always be on that path, which means you have a funding announcement about every 12 months. Uh, we're 12 months away from your last funding announcement. Is there anything you want to share with me? Huh? Uh, no, not now. But um, what I'll say is like, look, the market's nuts. Um, and there's just a dance between like, how long do we think it will be nuts versus how much further can we get to raise our valuation? That's that's the that's the calculus that I'm doing. And uh, I think the, fur- the further we can distance ourselves from COVID, right? Like I just told you, you know, like we have a high churn year. I think a lot of people did. Um, this year is great, right? Like, you know, what I want to do is say, hey, we've got continued really awesome growth, both from new and existing business. Like the year we're doing awesome. Like let's ride this out for a couple more quarters before we raise, because that's, we're just going to look that much better. So, so that's kind of the math that's going on in my head. But what I'll say is like, you know, we, we talked last time about bootstrapping versus raising and that kind of thing. And what I told you is that like, I kind of, I believe in the, uh, austerity, a little bit, you know, in the early days, I, I think that the uh, the hunger from having less cash makes you more focused and productive. And there becomes a point where that is no longer true. And the, the two things for us that point to like, actually, I'm very excited to go raise more money. And I think that the business needs to be highly capitalized. What? Just tell me that amount real quick. If you do go raise amount, like what will the next amount be? Will it be like 50 million, 60 million? Or break I can't. I I mean, it just depends on what's out there. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, I think the, the swings are so wide. I mean, look, so Fivetran is in our in our general space and just raised a behemoth 500 something million dollar round at a $5 billion valuation. I could never are they at your same that. revenue level? Uh, they're a little bit ahead of us, but not much. Okay, interesting. Um, so you think your well, next like, round I could be, you think your next round then could be at, at north of a billion dollar valuation? I don't know. Uh, I would love that, certainly. Um, yeah. I think... I mean, I don't think it'll be five billion dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but uh, I mean, look, look, the press I also speculated. Didn't think my would be either. <laughs> I was gonna say the press speculated back in 2019. Your Series D, 23 million, was about a hundred million dollar valuation, a little north of 100 million valuation. Your Series yeah. D, 33 million. I mean, was that at around a 300 million dollar valuation? We're we're like leaving we're like leaving these numbers behind. Is what I guess I would say. 
right? Yeah. Like, like we're, we're this, the next one, this one will be well north of those numbers. Yeah. I was going to say, so like in theory, again, if you go from, uh, if you told me that you just grew like two times as fast as you grew last year, right. And your valuation last year at, at October was caught 300 million. I mean, there's definitely a path where if you just stay focused on the numbers, getting good growth and getting people to do the product, you could, you could break a billion dollar valuation in the next six, 12 months. Uh, companies with our metrics have, yeah. um, I, but again, you know, it's not, it's not based on, we're not, we're not, people are not investing based on like fundamentals and numbers right now. Like that's not how these valuations get created. Um, they, it's, it's hype. It's, it's, it's a lot of things, right. But it's like, okay, we've got a lot of money to deploy. Interest rates are too low. Like public markets seem super frothy too. Like, where are you going to put money? Let's pick a company that seems like it has escape velocity and then over invest in it. Yeah. Uh, and and I think there is to some degree, like once you get into rounds that are this as big as like this five trillion round, you know, five hundred million bucks. Part of that investment is defensive, where you're essentially declaring yourselves the winner of the space and and like excluding other folks from going and taking meaningful market share. What do you I think, think the revenue is, by the way? Five trans? Yeah, I won't speculate on other folks. I think it's in the you know, it's not, it's somewhere between thirty and a hundred. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't. You know, I don't know. Just curious. Just curious. I mean, look, I truly I have like no the, insight at all into that. What? Yeah. What? I, what I like about you. I mean, look, I look at numbers all the time, and, and one of the things that you've done in an interesting way is, let's say you are between thirty forty million dollar run rate right now with a team of one hundred sixty eight people, your revenue per employee is above two hundred thousand dollars, which is more than two x the average VC backed company at your stage. Most VC backed companies at your stage have only generated about ninety thousand dollars revenue per employee. So you're staying very capital efficient even as you scale. It's interesting that you it's interesting that you say that because I spent my last week with our CFO looking at this specific metric and planning our headcount. Uh, so it's interesting that you say ninety. Do you agree with me? I mean, you're you're you're. Be, I know that that for a fact is what private. VC backed companies is because I get all this data. You guys are killing it. Do you guys agree internally? You agree that that's a strong metric for you guys? Um, it isn't. I think it isn't all right. Well, it's just strong for us now. I mean, a lot of stuff is efficient right now because we are just exceeding the targets that we that we thought we were going to. Um, so you know, like when when your sales team, like in Q two, we we beat our net revenue target by thirty percent. Yeah, we, you know, we invest to hit the target. And then when you beat by 30%, you just look super efficient. So, um, so there's, a, there's a lot of goodness happening there. Yeah, no, I know. Congratulations. I'm excited for you. Um, very cool. Got it. So, so let me just make up. We talked about quote. We talked about churn, which is incredible. We talked about inbound. Look, I think I've hit on most of my main stuff. Let me ask you sort of a personal question. Are you, I mean, are you the right CEO to take this all the way past IPO? Are you using any like CEO coaches? How are you feeling about leading the team? It's, oh yeah. So it's interesting you say that. So, um, so I've hired coaches for different things in, in a number of places. And, um, you know, last time that I was on here, you asked me about mentorship and I, uh, I, I was rewatching that episode and I, um, and I realized I, I, I named a guy, Jim Benton, the CEO, of course, who just sold that. Who business. just sold. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and who's doing really well. Uh, he's a little busy. I haven't spent that much time with him lately. Um, I have two guys I've worked with recently, um, who I really like. Um, one of them is Rick Hartwig, who, uh, he, he, right now he's at a firm called enjoy the work. Uh, and they are just SaaS, you know, technology advisors, right? It's a, it's a, you know, kind of partnership of eight, I think, or nine, you know, advisors. Uh, I, I know a couple of the other ones too, and they're all like really talented and fantastic folks, um, who will come in and do kind of general advisory. Each one has a specialty. So what Rick is great at is marketing and communications. I actually first hired him as a comms coach. 
uh, to help me with presenting. Like as the company got bigger, I realized that my communication was not going to be one to one; it was going to be one to many, and I need to get better at it. And so I hired him, and he made me a lot better, uh, both by providing frameworks and like coaching on the execution. And then the other guy is someone that we hired pretty recently, um, a guy named Roland Siebelink, who whose his website is midstage.org, uh, and I think it's midstage, maybe it's midstage.com. Anyway, his it's the Midstage Institute, um, which like could not possibly be better branding. But I, he was recommended to me by another founder in like a Slack channel that I belong to, and uh, he came in. We did a three month strategy session uh, across our exec team plus like you know ten to twenty other people, uh, where we really examined like what market we serve today, who is our core audience, what do we do for them, is our strategy aligned to what we want to do for them, how we want to expand them and our TAM. Uh, and really just took it top to bottom, culminating in a presentation that I gave to the whole company in August. And it's probably one of the best things I've done. Like my, you know, OKRs are not my happy place. And, and this kind of stuff, the process, like facilitating process to get to these kind of outcomes in the same way that you do with quarterly goal setting is, is just not a thing I personally enjoy doing. I don't think it's a thing that I'm good at, you know, and, and those go hand in hand very often, right? But hiring someone as an external facilitator to run that process has made us so much tighter on who we are serving and why. I think it's been a big benefit to the whole company. Uh, it gives me stuff that I can repeat over and over again. And so that's you know, if you if you find yourself, I think it's it's probably never too early for this to to really like think deeply about the strategy and then and then kind of codify that into quarterly cadence and goal setting. Um, I I I would start maybe as early as like thirty or forty employees doing this kind of thing with a, a facilitator like Roland, unless you think that it's like a thing that you're already amazing at. Eric, this has been where what I just realized we're way over time, but this has been fascinating. I took a question here before you wrap up with the famous five. How many years did it take you since launch in 2013 to break the five million run rate? This is something I'm trying to standardize across the data set. Oh, uh, that's a good question. I think uh, you broke it in 2016. 20, yeah, uh, yeah. 16. Did yeah. I answer this one last time? I think no, you uh, said you broke 500,000 in 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, probably three years, maybe four years. Okay, got it. So, thir- so twenty, like twenty seventeen, you were around a five million run rate, something like that. Yeah, I, I don't have it in front of me, and I'm, I, yeah, I don't, I haven't thought about it in a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very cool. Okay, good stuff. Let's wrap up with the famous five. Number one, favorite business uh, book. Uh, hard thing about hard things. I think that's you're the answer consistent. you do last time too. You're consistent. Yeah. yeah. Number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, still like Jim Benson. Uh, <laughs> He's a little more money now. Uh, number number three, Probably. what's your favorite? What's your favorite online tool, Derek? Besides your own. Uh, oh, this changes all the time. I think superhuman. I like mm. superhuman a lot. Number four, is there a, or sorry, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Uh, five to six now. <laughs> That's pretty good. And situation, married, single kids? Uh, married. I have a two-year-old, just started preschool. Very cool. And uh, what, you're 36 now, right? Yeah. Very cool. All right. Last question. Something you wish you knew when you were 20. Uh, I I've been thinking about this a lot. One thing one thing that I started. Oh, you don't want a, a long answer for this. Well, you can, uh, you can spend a little time. Yeah, I um, uh, I started using a service called Two Chairs over the last year. 
uh, just like therapy, like teletherapy thing um, has been really, really, really great. Uh, and it's driven mostly by like, Hey, I'm like kind of going crazy stuck in this room and like, it's affecting me in ways that I've like things I haven't had to deal with before. Um, and so I want some help doing it. And, uh, and I get a survey, Suture sends a survey all the time. Uh, and one of the questions is like, you know, agree or disagree or whatever, strongly agree. Uh, I've achieved everything that I want in my life. And I think, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm a strong agree. I feel really great about where I am and where my family is and everything. I think the one thing that I wish I had done differently, and I think this every time I do this survey, is I, I, I wish we had started family earlier. Truly, I always felt like there was some professional thing that was getting in the way. Uh, you know, but my parents are 75. They're only going to get a certain amount of time with their granddaughter. When were uh, you married? When did you guys get married? We got married uh, five years ago. So Okay, so 30, 30, 30, you get married when you're 30, 31. first when you're 35. Yeah. Yeah. And we were together for five years before we got married. Um, yep. I would have just hustled the whole process along. Uh, and I probably would have thought more seriously about it. I think, you know, I see this with a lot of friends who, you know, especially men uh, want to go and just like have fun and have me time and do whatever they want. And it's like all that, this sounds great. And like at the time, you know, my twenties, I, I felt that way too. Um, and, and I think the thing I know now as a parent is that like, none of that stuff matters once you have a kid. You know, like if kids are in your future, once you have a kid, you're really not going to care whether you took that trip or did that thing. And it just doesn't matter. Right. The only thing that matters is time spent with your kids. Uh, Uh, That's probably probably the thing that I wish I do. Family earlier, family earlier, guys. There we have Derek with with Mode Analytics. Now Mode.com. Congratulations. Spent between 100 grand and 500 grand and grabbed that domain name after our last $33 million round. But he's not all about funding. Actually, very capital efficient business here, despite almost $90 million in funding. Over 600 customers are now serving, turning analysts into superheroes with their team of 168 people. They've got uh, over 10,000 editors on the platform, thousands and thousands and thousands of viewers using it. Ecosystems growing very fast with three key pricing lines. Uh, Helix growing quickly. And again, three individual use cases that are growing very fast. The net dollar retention is a result of those things all working together over 120%, but below 150 as they continue to scale. Derek, thanks for taking us to the top. Thanks, Nathan.